Our scripture reading this morning uh, will come from the book of Philippians. Now, um, we've just got done reading the gospel of Mark together. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be reading through the book of Philippians together. Now, Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Philippians from uh, Rome in about uh, 60 A.D. And he's in Rome towards the end of his life, and uh, he's um, awaiting whether he's going to be set free or whether he's going to be executed for his faith. And uh, as he's sort of sitting there waiting, and he's sort of just ruminating on this life that, that Jesus has given him, uh, he thinks of this church in Philippi. And it's one of the first churches he ever successfully planted. And, uh, and he just remembers them with such fondness and such love. And he just wants to write them a letter to encourage them. Sometimes Paul writes a letter to like correct people and his letters read more like, like Galatians. Like you can feel the smoke coming off Galatians. That's one of those to whom it may concern kind of letters. But this letter is just so full of love and joy because Paul remembers uh, the Philippians with just such love and he just wants to encourage them to keep on doing what they're doing. And, uh, and so we're going to read uh, the beginning of that letter together. It's Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of our Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains for defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. So I was uh, on the internet uh, the other day, and I came uh, across uh, this story from 2014. There was this pastor named Zachary Zan. Cool name. Um, and this pastor named Zachary Zan, he preached a sermon on Genesis through Revelation. And this sermon lasted 53 hours and 18 minutes. And the people from Guinness World Book of Records were there. And it went down as the longest sermon ever preached. 53 hours and 18 minutes. And brothers and sisters, I believe we can break that record here this morning. Who's with me? (laughs) Not many of you. Um, I've been accused of being long-winded, but 53 hours and 18 minutes. Jeez. Um, uh, But I'm trying to get better at the preaching thing. I'm new to all of this. And I read all these books and uh, listen to other preachers and, and my earbuds. And, and I'm constantly trying to improve. And believe it or not, because I look like I'm up here winging this, I, I, put, a, I put a lot of work into it and, uh, and, and a lot of study. And then sometimes I just come here with too much, right? Um, but I want to be, be a good preacher. But from my heart, more important to me than being a good preacher is being a good pastor. There's a difference, isn't there, when you think about it? I'll bet you all can think back uh, into your past and remember people, people who were um, really good preachers that kind of weren't very good pastors. And then vice versa, people that were, were really good pastors, but kind of a snooze behind the pulpit. And, and if you're like me, right, you put up with a bad preacher if he was a good pastor any day of the week, right? If you knew that person that, that was kind of a lulling you to sleep on Sunday morning was going to be there for you Monday through Saturday, that uh, when you have a celebration or a surgery or, or whatever it is that, that, that they can be counted on, that they're going to be around, um, you take that any day of the week. Right, And that's what I long for. I really, really, really want to be a good pastor. I want to be the kind of person that's always there to answer your questions. I don't know, right? Um, uh, I always want to be there uh, to just listen to your problems. I want to be there for your surgeries. You got to tell me about them, right? <laughs> if you tell me, oh, we had, had surgery yesterday, there's not much I can do to be there, right? But... Uh, but you got to help me. But, but that's the kind of pastor I want to be. That's the kind of pastor my dad is. My dad's a really good um, preacher, but he's a great pastor. And uh, he used to counsel, still does, like, like these young men that, that want to be pastors. He says, uh, these men come up to him, they say, I, I, uh, uh, women too, and I feel a call into ministry. And... Dad will always ask the same question. Um, Why do you want to be a pastor? And he says, usually they respond, because I love God. Because I love God. You know what my dad says? That's a terrible reason to become a pastor, (laughs) because you love God. That's a great reason to become a monk, right? (laughs) But he says, 
if you want to become a pastor, you have to love God's people. You have to love the church. You have to love the church the way Jesus loved the church. And, and not, just like, uh, not, not just like the good ones, too, right? You've got to love the complainers. Well, you've got to love the ones that wake up on Monday morning and, uh, and, and, the, and they just ask, how can I ruin the pastor's day today, right? You've got to love them. You, you, you've got to love the really needy ones that always have a question, that, that always need to hear from you. Uh, you. You've got to love the ones that are wiser and smarter and more charismatic than you are, right? You can't resent them, right? You've got to love the whole church the way Jesus loves the church. And I'm just starting out this thing, but that's, that's kind of what I'm aspiring to. And, and the reason I was thinking about this is... Because Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, is a notoriously bad preacher, right? He even admits as much in his letters. There's this guy named Apollos, and he is a way better preacher than I am, right? I admit it. There's there's this story um, from Acts chapter 20 uh, where Paul is preaching out in the road. Um, All these people are, uh, are listening from their windows, and it says, uh, Paul started at noon, and then it got to be dark. He's still preaching. And uh, there's this guy up in the second-story window. His name is Eutychus. And the Bible says he fell into a deep sleep, right? He falls into a deep sleep, and then he falls out his window. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but he dies. He dies. And But, but. Paul, like, throws himself on him. He heals him. Uh, The guy is miraculously, like, he miraculously recovers. And then you know what happens? Paul goes on preaching for another couple of hours, right? The guy can't read a room, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But uh, Paul was a notoriously bad preacher, but he was a wonderful pastor. He loved his people. See, 20 years later, he's in Rome. He's planted all these other churches, and he's still thinking about the Philippians, still praying for them, right? Uh, just, just look at, at what he says. It's just oozing with love. Um, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. I have you in my heart, Paul says. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Those are the words of a man who loves his people, who loves his congregation, who loves his church. Paul Paul writes this letter just to say, I want to encourage you. I know God's not done with you. He started this good work in you, and and he's going to carry it out to completion. And I want you to know that I'm thinking about you all. I'm praying about you all. And then he says, here's my prayer. And this is the prayer we're going to look at this morning. A prayer from a pastor's heart. It starts in verse 9. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
this is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more and more. That word abound in Greek, periseo, you don't have to remember that, but here's the important part. It means overflow. It means flood. Think of the banks of a river. Uh, after after uh, the rain has been falling and falling, the river is overflowing, flooding the banks. That's the word. I want your love to do that, to overflow, to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This is what Paul is saying to his people. This is his prayer. This is his prayer for the people of God, that your love will abound. And I think any good pastor, that's his prayer for his people, for his congregation, that their love will abound more and more. A pastor prays that, uh, that, that your love will be uh, flooding out the doors and, and flooding out the windows. They'll be coming out your ears. Right? That's your prayer for your people. Here's the thing. All this love talk in church, sometimes it makes us a little uneasy, right? Sometimes we get a little suspicious. Our backs get up against the wall just a little bit. Wait a minute. Did this guy, one of those hippy-dippy, sandal-wearing, God-is-love Christians, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and we just get a little long edge, right? Um, I get it. I feel that way sometimes when someone says, love is my religion, man, right? Sitting there thinking, so do they sing a lot of Marvin Gaye at your church? Like, what are we talking about, right? But, uh, but if, we're, if we're to be honest, this book has a whole lot to say about love, right? Billy Graham says the gospel in a nutshell is, is John three sixteen, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves and then he gives, right? Jesus says to his disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another so that my joy may be fulfilled, right? That's love. Um, uh, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. John, God is love and whoever loves is following God right? It's got a lot to say. The 13th chapter of Corinthians, off the top of my head, a whole chapter about love. When Jesus wants to sum up the entire Bible, the law and the prophets, he says it's summed up in two commandments. Y'all know them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's got a lot to say about love, but as a church, we do get nervous, right? We, we just, there's something in us. That too much of that love talk, you can get carried away with it, right? Because we recognize that love is a powerful emotion. I think it can be a blinding emotion, right? You know, um, it, it, can, it can sort of skew your point of view a little bit, can it? We say things like, love is blind. Y'all have heard that before. You say love is blind, what you mean is it's a powerful emotion. And the person in love 
They're so intoxicated by that emotion, they just can't quite see straight. They can't see the flaws of the person in front of them, right? So love is blind. Uh, Crystal likes to, well, she used to watch this show on MTV. Uh, it was called 16 and Pregnant. Right? Anyone ever heard of 16 and Pregnant? Right. Um, that whole show, 16 and Pregnant, is all about how love is blind, right? And how love causes people to do stupid things, right? It's like a warning <laughs> label for love, 16 and Pregnant, right? And I remember I was in the room during one of these uh, episodes. You know, I don't watch them because I'm a Christian, but my wife does. And I was in the room during one of these episodes, and, uh, and suddenly, like, I wasn't just in the room anymore. I was like, I was watching it. I was absorbed in it. And I'll never forget the episode. It was, uh, it was this, this 16-year-old girl, right? She had fallen in love, and she was pregnant, and, uh, and she had a baby. And then um, you know, she was living with this guy, and the guy was maybe a year older than she was, and he was a total deadbeat. And they were living in their grandma's basement. And this guy just played video games all day. And finally, the grandma, like, she has an ultimatum, right? You're going to go out, you're going to get a job, and you're going to start paying rent. Well, the next day, uh, the, the guy comes home, and, uh, and he's got this gold panning kit, and then he starts, uh, he's panning for gold out in, uh, out in their backyard, right? This is his big plan. Um, I'm telling you, my blood got cold. A shiver ran down my spine. I tensed up. All I could think about was my little Savannah. My little Savannah, 16 someday, with a baby in her arms, staring adoringly at some knuckle-headed vapor uh, <laughs> panging for gold in our backyard, right? The thought of my girls in love scares me because I know love is blinding. It makes people do stupid things. It's a powerful emotion. And as, as a church, we're, we're rightly kind of wary about it, right? Too much of that love talk, that's, that's going to skew our way of thinking. That's going uh, to make us go blind around here to the truth, right? And so we're just a little, you know, arm's length about love. But Paul says, I want your love to abound. I want it to overflow. I want it to flood the banks I want it to come splashing out the doors of this place and out the windows and out your ears, right? I want it to abound more and more, but more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. See, love that abounds in knowledge and depth of insight, that doesn't sound like blind love to me, right? Sounds like a thinking kind of love, love that abounds in knowledge and depth of insight. So what's going on here? What's Paul talking about here? Well, stop me if you've heard this, right? But um, in English, we've got one word for love, and it's super confusing, right? I love my wife. I love my kids. I love the Cincinnati Reds. I love ice cream, right? 
all those four emotions, all those four things aren't the same thing, right? I don't love ice cream the way I love my kids, right? They're two different things, and yet we have this one word, love. But in Greek, it's a little more clear. See, in Greek, we've got four words for love. And it's, uh, it's kind of a hierarchy, too, right? A, uh, a love ladder, if you will. Now, I know love ladder sounds like a really bad Lifetime movie, but uh, <laughs> let's go with it, okay? So the love ladder is this, right? For the, for the ancient Greeks, for the people in Paul's world, um, they had four kinds of love, and, uh, and some were better than others, right? At the top of the love ladder... The, the, the top rung, the best love you could have was philia. This was friendship, right? Philia is, uh, is, is what brothers in arms have who, who have served together in battle. This is what lifelong friends have, right? This is, this is philia. And, um, and for Paul's world, the Greek-speaking world, this was more important than arrows, right? This, uh, this, this philia. And eros, eros is, uh, is romantic love, right? It's where we get the word erotic. I know I shouldn't have just said that in church, but um, that's eros, right? It's this romantic love. It's, it's the, uh, the love that uh, the great theologian um, Percy Sledge sang about when he said, when a man loves a woman, he can't keep his mind on nothing else, right? Um, that's eros. Then you come down here, further down the love ladder, right? You've got what's called storge. And storge is the love I have for things that are familiar to me, right? Like ice cream, right? Ice cream can't love me back, but I sure love ice cream because it's so familiar to me. It brings back memories of childhood. It makes my taste buds dance, right? So I love ice cream. That's storge. Then down at the bottom of the love ladder, like the lowest rung for Paul's world is agape. And we Christians say unconditional love, right? But, uh, but, but the way they thought about this was agape is love just because. Just because I decided to. I don't know. I don't really have any reason, right? That was the lowest form of love for the Greeks. This sort of just, just because love. See, when Paul is saying to the Philippians, may your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, he's not talking about philia, right? He's not saying, I want friendships all over this place, right? Flooding out friendships, right? Not talking about eros, like right? You don't want it to get crazy in here, right? He's not even talking about storge. The word Paul uses and the word I used in all those quotations I threw out, agape. This just because love. This love because, I don't know, I just decided to, right? That's the kind of love Paul is pointing to. May your agape abound more and more. May it overflow in depth and knowledge of insight. See, this agape love is not based on what the other person can do for you, right? Friendship 
You've heard this. It's a two-way street, right? You know, I give, I get, I give, I get. Friendship bonds are based on this two-way mutual bond. A person can break a friendship with, 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 with a bad word or a poor decision, right? And so, uh, and so this bond is, is, is tenuous and it's based on what the other person can do for me. Same with eros. Romantic love is fading sometimes. It can come and go depending on how we feel. Storge, right? It's, it's kind of a one-way kind of love, right? Ice cream doesn't love me back. The Cincinnati Reds don't love me back, right? But I love them. But this agape is not based on what the other person does for me. Agape is based on a decision I make. I just decided I'm going to love you and there's nothing you can do about that, right? Nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. It's just, it, it comes down to who I am. Right? All these are about who you are. Agape is about who I am. Think about an infant, right? A newborn baby. On paper, that is about the most unlovable creature I can think of, right? When you think about it, on paper, an infant. An infant can't really emotionally support you in any kind of way, right? It's always crying itself and needing to be held. Right? It can't, doesn't really show you any kind of affection. Right? Um, it's got all this bodily stuff going on and it's making it your problem. Right? Um, an infant is, uh, is, 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 it literally thinks it's the center of the universe. Right? It doesn't come out of the womb caring about you or your opinion or, uh, or the fact that you want to go to sleep. The infant doesn't care about any of that. On paper, it seems like a pretty unlovable kind of creature. And yet, and yet, mommy and daddy can't help it. Right? They love that thing so much. They're sending you pictures. They're, they're spending all their time with it. Their whole world suddenly becomes about this little creature, and they can't help it. Because they're daddy. That's what daddies do. They love their baby. Because they're mommy. And that's what mommies do. They love their baby. And they just can't help it. See, it's this love that's just a part of who they are. This agape love that, that this little baby has done nothing to deserve. Right? But it just comes from, from the very being of the mommy and the daddy. And see, for... Uh, for Jesus, and then for Paul, this agape love, this is like at the top of the love ladder here. This is the most important love there is because th this agape love, this is the love God has for us. This is the love God has for his people. It's just a decision God made. It's just a covenant God made. It's just a part of who God is. When John says God is love, God is agape. 
essential to his being, just like that mommy or that daddy. You are God's son or daughter, and he can't help it. He just loves you. He gives love away like like the sun gives away warmth and light. It's just a part of who God is. It's kind of like, I don't want to get any of you guys in trouble, so... You can like just blink twice really fast if this has ever happened to you, okay? But maybe you're, um, maybe it's 11 o'clock, your eyes are really heavy, you're about to get to sleep, and your wife whispers in your ear, why do you love me? (laughs) And suddenly you tense up right? Because this has to be good. If you're going to get to sleep, this has to be satisfactory, or you've got like a whole world of hurt (laughs) and anguish and hours of talking ahead of you. (laughs) So you've got to make this really good, right? Why do you love me? And you're sitting there thinking, and what you're thinking is, I don't know, I just do. Let me sleep. I just do, right? But you have to, just really quick, you just have to start naming things and, and make it sound like it's just off the top of your head, right? Um, uh, you're, you're beautiful, you're funny, you're a great mother, you're supportive. You can tell I've rehearsed these, right? <laughs> but you've got to get through it, right? You've got to power through it so you can get to sleep. But um, I think that first answer, though, is right. I don't know, I just do. I don't know, I just do. Like, in the beginning, we had this whole Eros thing going on. We still do sometimes, but that comes and goes, right? And we've got, we, we, we get this philia thing, this friendship thing going on, right? And that helps. But at some point, I just made a decision, I made this decision, I'm going to love you, and it became a part of who I am. It became central to my being, and I really don't remember what it was like to not love you. If I'm honest, I can't think that far back. I don't know. I just do. It's a pretty good answer, right? You should try that next time, right? I don't know. I just do. I just do. That's God's love for us that's agape love. This, I just do. I can't explain it. It's just part of who I am to love you. And that is the kind of love that Paul is praying that the Philippians will have. That's the kind of love any good pastor is praying that his congregation will have. It's the kind of love I pray you all will have, right? This abounding, flooding agape And it grows in knowledge and depth of insight because this kind of love can see you, can see all of your flaws, can know everything that's wrong with you, everything you ever did, and yet love you. It's not blind love, it's love with eyes wide open. This agape love, this strong, just because it's part of who I am love. I ran into Pastor Mark the other day. Um, I was at one of these um, pastor meetings that I have to go now. And by 20 years, I'm always the youngest person in the room. 
and uh, and and because I'm new to this whole pastoring thing, like I don't know anybody. I know about four people, and so I tend to gravitate to one of the people I know. And Mark's one of them. And so uh, we were at this pastor meeting, and we got to chatting. Y'all that know Mark knows what that means. You get to chatting. He was chatting, and I was listening. And uh, he couldn't help it. All he wanted to talk about was you guys, right? Um, uh, how Janice and that one-eyed cat doing? Uh, how, how, how's Mike Wallace doing? I, m- I miss seeing him, right? And, and he went down the list. Uh, how's Harold's treatments going, right? Just, just wanted to, uh, he was just thinking about you all because that's what a good pastor does, right? Even when he's gone, even when he's got another church, just thinking about his people, like Paul. I remember like it was yesterday. This wasn't that long ago. It, it, it's hard to believe. I feel like I've been here forever, but it was just, it was June. I was scared. Pastor Mark was showing me around uh, both of the churches, and I had like this, this, uh, this legal pad, and I had all these questions I'd written out beforehand, and I was asking them and scribbling them furiously, and he could tell I was nervous. I remember he put his, his hand on my shoulder, and he says, Danny, all you got to do is love these people, and you'll be fine. You know what? He was right. He was so, so, so 100% right. I'm still learning, right? Uh, there's still things I don't know. I'm still figuring out what songs you can sing and what songs you can't, right? <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> but I think if I just try and love y'all, I'm going to be fine. I was, I was just standing outside during the Easter Sunday with all the kids that were gathering the eggs, and we just had a great um, a sunrise service, and I knew we were going to have a great Easter service. I was just overwhelmed by all of it. And my heart just felt like mysteriously warmed by all of it. And I just felt so lucky and so blessed. And I remembered those words, just, just love them, and it'll be fine. So as your pastor, that's what I'm trying to do. Just love you. I, I, I think about you all. Um, the, the, the stuff you all tell me on Sunday morning and during the week and uh, in, in, at Bible study, I pray about that stuff. I offer that before the Lord. And, uh, and my prayer for you all is this. that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.